Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. You're listening to Uncovered with Barat Sundarason and Jared Kimber on the 99.94 Network. We have a bunch. Let's start with India, Australia, just because that one finished a couple of minutes ago. And I saw more of that one. Um, I will explain why I haven't seen much of New Zealand, Sri Lanka in a moment. But I think the most interesting thing for me on the India, Australia is that if you are Cameron Green or Shubman Gill, you have played an absolute blinder by missing the early part of this series when the pitches were at their worst. And they're going to end up with pretty good numbers. You could even add Travis Head because he missed one of those early test matches as well. Just on how different it is. And we see Virat Kohli make runs. And we see everyone make runs. And what's the difference? Pitch is not as spiteful. And, and I think that as someone who does a lot of work in this kind of field, and I know there's a few other people like me out there, we see this again and again and again, which is the conditions usually dictate how players go more than anything else. And we don't, that's not how we follow cricket, unfortunately. We look at it in a very different way. And, um, you know, from this particular point of view, if Shubman Gill and Cameron Green and Travis Head even played in that other test, they would all have worse records now coming out of this series than they do. Um, and, that's how cricket is played. It's not a particularly big surprise that these things happen. It was actually a fairly disappointing test in the end. I thought there were times where it could have been set up to be quite exciting. I mean, say what you want for England and Basball, but you know the way that they play means that the games have the ability to be uh, sped up so there is more chance of an opportunity of a result. And this is kind of more of an old-school pitch. We, I think we were all waiting for it to fall apart and speed up at the end like the Indian wickets of old. Sadly, that didn't happen, and we've ended up with this. But, you know, uh, from that perspective, it was a little bit disappointing, but it was a really interesting border Gavaskar trophy, all things considered, uh, that wasn't as much. And by that, I mean it was interesting in that it wasn't particularly like other border Gavaskar trophies. There wasn't as much nonsense. <laughs> uh, you know, all the sort of bullshitty bits that go around the edge didn't seem to happen as much as they normally do and so yeah i did think it was it was different from that point of view obviously the pitchers being so biased towards one part of the game certainly made it interesting i think in some ways if you go back to the ashes in australia um last year it was a, a similar kind of thing where you know the bowling was so on top at times that it becomes almost a survival series rather than anything else but 
Uh, so from that point of view, I don't think it's going to go down as a classic border Gavaskar, but even coming into the last match and still having Australia having a chance um, to get somewhere. And then on top of that, you know, beyond just Australia having a chance, you know, the whole World Test Championship thing. I mean, it, it's funny. It's it's not completely um, taken over the world, right? The World Test Championship. But you do see it affecting some of the narratives. You do see it affecting some of the way that teams are playing on the field. You know, it's there and thereabouts. It, uh, you know, I don't know how popular it ever needs to be um, going ahead, but it's certainly something from a perspective of what's the best way of putting it? It's certainly something that is given us some storylines, which we didn't have before. And realistically, these are important things, especially in modern sport. You know, the the ability to have a strong narrative, the ability to have something to talk about that isn't, you know, some nonsense to do with the pitch or anything else. Um, or, you know, or two players are upset at each other or, you know, one one former captain doesn't like a current captain or any of that sort of nonsense. It's much better to be able to talk about, well, this test match matters because Australia have a chance of drawing in India when no one had a chance of drawing in India. And more importantly, that will also mean that India will have given up the World Test Championship um, final. So I, I thought that was really fantastic from that point of view. Um, our Earth is the best has um, sent through a message going positives for Australia. Cameron Green, Todd Murphy and Travis said, look, I think the positives for Australia, it's not that those are not positives. I haven't, I haven't come away from that thinking that Travis Head is much better than I thought before. As I said, there was a, there's a luck in the, the fact that uh, the test matches that they played, but Head did very well. He also got that nice second innings uh, knock in the uh, third test, which was a handy one uh, to play. I think most opening batters in the world would have been happy to go out and bat in that kind of a situation. Todd Murphy's a huge positive. Cameron Green, he, you know, he made runs uh, when he had to. I think he's bowling in certainly in situations like in India um, has a way to go. But all things said, I think that's a very positive series for Australia. I think India might come out of that as well, rethinking what they do. It's really interesting how far they change with that fourth test from compared to the other tests. But I do think India might just come out of that, just rethinking some of the things uh, within their game of how they do things. Of what's the best way of putting it? But of uh, is just making the, the pitchers rag the best option. You know, and I talked about the ridiculous uh, three-man bowling attack that they might be able to use, and there are other things. But I think there are better ways that they can play going ahead, um, especially when they're playing the better teams. And that might only be Australia and England, um, as we currently stand, although uh, Sri Lanka are making a play um, of recent times for being very, very good. So there are some changes out there. But, yeah, I think this 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 um, this uh, test match was... Um, a little bit dull, uh, certainly f- uh, fizzled out. But I thought it was a, it was the kind of test series that if in, if it wasn't India and Australia, you'd be like, this is a good test series. But because it was India and Australia, you're waiting for brain fades and, you know, all the different things that Steve Smith does, um, I suppose. And we maybe, you know, sandwich gates and, you know, all these different things. Um, and we maybe didn't get the level of nonsense that we normally get. But Australia coming back from 2-0 down when no one saw it, I think all oh, things considered was a really, really good um, series. Um, if you do have any questions, uh, remember, if you want them absolutely guaranteed to be answered, um, please uh, put a, uh, uh, what's it called? Super chat in. If not, you can put any questions you want in and I will get to them uh, if if and when I can. Um, what else have I got here on this test match? Uh, yeah, I think the most interesting thing was the pitch, obviously. Uh, the most interesting thing from a serious perspective was the fact that Australia held up 
I still think India is the better team all round at the moment. But, you know, a test match in England might swing back into Australia's favour. I thought India played really good in England. What was that two years ago now? Obviously, they got basballed in last time they went over. That was a very different kind of England conditions than they're probably going to get. New Zealand obviously um, beat them in that other match as well. I would expect it to favour Australia slightly more than um, than India, but I still think India's a really, really good team um, and I've got no problems with them having a chance in the World Test Championship. And I'm excited for that game. Uh well, my press accreditation for that game as well. But yeah, re- really excited uh, that, uh, you know, that it's coming up soon. I, I really like the World Test Championship. I think it's a, yeah, a fascinating match, a fascinating idea, you know, one off in a neutral venue. I kind of think it should always be in a neutral venue, not always in England, of course, but I kind of think it should always be in a neutral venue. Um, they should pick maybe a bunch of pitches around the world. You know, I don't know, Candy, Dharamashala, maybe Cape Town, uh, Adelaide Oval, you know, wickets that are not um, hugely favourable to one kind of cricket or another where you probably need, you know, spinners and pace balls and batters are still going to have a chance, you know, whatever that may be, those sorts of pitches. I think there's some really interesting ones out there um, that they could pick. Um, How much longer it lasts for, I don't know. But I think we had a really good World Test Championship the first time other than the rain, um, partly because, you know, it gave New Zealand a chance to sort of crown their golden generation in a way that apparently they couldn't do in any limited overs cricket. And then this one is, again, the two biggest teams, uh, probably the two best teams over the last uh, little while, maybe over the last three or four years even now. Um, So I thought that from that perspective, um, it was certainly uh, pretty spectacular from that point of view. All right, I am going to have a quick break. I'll go and see if there's anything uh, anything in the chat uh, worth having a look at. But I have a quick break here, and then after the break, we will talk about New Zealand and Sri Lanka. Nice buns. Soft, fluffy, and ultra-low net carbs. Discover Hero Bread, the delicious ultra-low net carb bread with incredible taste and texture. Hero Bread has zero grams of sugar and is under 100 calories per serving. Plus, high in fiber with 5 to 10 grams of protein per serving. Order from Hero.co now and get 10% off your first purchase with promo code AH10. That's 10% off with code AH10. H-E-R-O dot C-O. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Welcome back to Uncovered. Barrett is still being rested and rotated and uh, or I just haven't selected him. We'll never know. Um, but it's just me again this week, and hopefully Barrett will be with us again very, very shortly. Yeah, so India, Australia, I think we can move on from that. I want to talk about a little bit about 
New Zealand, Sri Lanka. So I haven't seen the full thing. I've seen the highlights. Obviously, I was asleep uh, when it happened, but I've got, I record every day of test play so I can go back in and watch them. Uh, well, most days of test play, the ones that allow me to record them on my, on my, um, uh, on my system. In fact, if you're, if you're someone who can record or create games in the world and have the ability to like upload it to a private service, um, I, I'm, you know, more than willing to help, um, subsidize your lifestyle because there's a lot of stuff that I can't see, but, uh, you know, I really, pref- I, I talked about, you know, getting a partnership with NV play or someone else in the future, um, or Kadamba or whoever. Um, so I can, uh, what's, what's the other one? Sporting, forget sports mechanics. I think they're called. So I can't wait to go back and watch that last session, but I want to talk about it in a more broad point of view. Obviously, I think now, even though they, they stole the game against, well, they stole this game against um, Sri Lanka, but also stole this game, uh, stole the game against England. I think we know that New Zealand as a team are on the slide and uh, we'll be doing, it's really interesting to, you know, as we come up to this world test final and see them having to steal a game at home against Sri Lanka how far they've gone from where they were before. They were a really, really incredible machine. Yeah, they had some favorable things go go for them in the last World Test Championship, but they were also a much better team then than they are now. So it'll be really interesting to see how they go coming ahead, how far they fall, and everything else. Um, The Sri Lanka story is maybe the more interesting one, although I think they're both interesting. We've got videos coming up on both of them that – probably might be out during the next test in fact you know i made that big claim that i thought sri lanka had the easiest uh world test championship um schedule that but that they had played so poorly that i didn't think they would get anywhere you're starting to watch them now and you're starting to think there's some of those batters are starting to come together you know i've always thought someone like dan and jay de silva for instance was a really good player but he's the kind of player that you want when you have a good team because his use is limited, but at batting at number six and being able to bowl and obviously being a world-class fielder is a really, really good skill to have in a very good team. But at times he was batting out of position, too far up the order, too much was asked of him as a bowler. You're starting to see now that he's a good complementary piece to the, everything else that Sri Lanka has. And they've been really, really good. There's no doubt that... Um, their world test, even if they've not ended up in the final, but they have, they pushed it all the way. Yeah. And yes, that an easier um, schedule that, you know, you won't find any arguments for me. I think they had the easiest schedule of any team uh, by a distance. But the other side of looking at that is that they are still um, improving all the time. We've seen that in, you know, uh, white ball cricket as well. There's something happening there. And I think we have to, celebrate it because for a long time we didn't have it at all um and so uh i really i really thought they did very very uh good in that series but also new zealand cricket i think it went through you just get back to them for a moment they went through a golden era of course of playing but as good as they were in test cricket i still think there was you know this thought that test cricket was you know fading over there you know it's become a boutique ground how great is it for new zealand to have two incredibly close test matches i mean it's been a fantastic i want to say summer is it technically summer in new zealand at the moment um a fantastic late summer um uh in new zealand so far and i remember this actually reminds me of a story of uh when we were making death of a gentleman so if you haven't seen it it's 
on Netflix in some parts of the world and not in others, but it's the documentary I made about test cricket. We were making it in 2012, I want to say, when we were in Sri Lanka. And Mike Atherton wrote a piece going, oh, so, you know, these two guys are making this film about the death of test cricket, but we've had a couple of close matches. Um, and, you know, uh, the test cricket isn't dying the same way. And he wrote, wrote this article and I sort of went to Athens and I said, do you think close test matches is what's going to save this game? Because it's not, right? What they allow, though, when you have two of them back-to-back in one country is you actually have an energy that New Zealand cricket can build on now. They can use that in their marketing next year. Uh, they can, you know, the incredible come-from-behind draw um, in that series against England. You know, the the Neil Wagner going out with busted hamstring and a bulging disc. If cricket, test cricket was run properly, you could use these games. And you could say, look, T20 cricket, one day cricket, we're glad that you like that as well. And we know that there's going to be a lot of close finishes, but we also know you're not going to remember a lot of them. If you watch the end of this test match, and from my Twitter feed, from my WhatsApp feed, from everyone I've talked to this morning um, who's awake, who was awake when it happened or was watching it when it happened, it, it affected them. So did the Pakistan-England test a couple of months ago. So did New Zealand-England recently. Uh, so, you know, all these different matches really have, you know, they grab people. And I was trying to explain to my son recently that because in test cricket we have so few um, close matches, when we do have one, it changes the way you feel. I remember I was commentating the New Zealand-England one. My legs were just jittering the whole way through. And I'm sure that's how a lot of people felt. I mean, so many Indian fans have contacted me, and I think there might have been someone in, in the group who said this earlier, that a devil says, I preferred to watch New Zealand um, Sri Lanka today, and I was not disappointed. It was a thriller. Now, he got lucky that it was a thriller. But the point is that, you know, those sorts of matches, they do drag you in. You do end up having to watch them. And it's an amazing thing. But it doesn't mean anything in a vacuum because New Zealand cricket can't guarantee they're ever going to have a close test match again, right? That's how test cricket works. Well, I think we have more close finishes now than we ever have before. But it's not because test cricket is absolutely brilliant. It's because we have more tests than ever before. So when you get that opportunity to have a great test match, you have to start using that in your advertising and your marketing to say, you know, get Stephen Fry or get Peter Jackson or um, I'm trying to think of famous people from cricket countries around the world. Um, you know, get Harry Potter you know, all these different people, get them around to talk about how they felt when they watched these things. That That's an ad, right? Imagine getting all uh, five or six of the most famous people in England to talk about the Headingley test, right? Imagine getting a bunch of famous South Africans to talk about that South Africa Sri Lanka game where they lost or one of the ones where they won, right? All these different things. That's an easy ad to be able to put together, you know? The celebrities love doing those sorts of things, right? And then, and all you do the recreations, um, all these different things in the marketing. Test cricket, here it is. And it's Jack Leach, you know, taking a single and the crowd cheering. It's a completely different kind of thing. And I think when you get a moment like this, you should take it. But the, the truth is that a close test match does not save test cricket, and it never has. And sadly, it never will. But what you can do is build on these things. And we are getting to a point, if you look at somewhere like New Zealand, they should be able to dine out on this, especially because they won both the games. They should be able to dine out on this for years, right? That's what is missing in Test Cricket. It's that energy. It's that oomph. It's not that the games aren't incredible. I mean, you know, 
I think most people who watch all three formats would understand that test cricket is a better thing. It does more to your body and your mind. And it can be duller than any of the other three formats and it can be more exciting than any of the other three formats. And that's kind of the genius of it that you have to stick with it. Um, And that's how we have to start selling it. And as someone who hasn't even seen this last session yet, you know, outside of Neil Wagner hobbling in, I haven't even seen this last session and I already know how exciting it is based on, on, on everything else. And I think that's what we need to build on. But I, I do think that the, the Sri Lanka Renaissance is a story that we should keep looking at. I think that was sort of overestimated a little bit in T20 cricket based on the two world cups. I think I've done a pretty good breakdown to say that basically outside of lo- losing to was it Namibia. Um, they've beaten all the teams they should have beaten and lost to all the teams they should have lost to. But, Going back to what was happening in 2020, where it looked like the entire nation was combusting as a cricket team, you know, the women had some success in that last World Cup. They weren't women, weren't even allowed to play. They were suspending half their players from the men's team. You know, the coaching situation is ridiculous. If you commentate a game in Sri Lanka, you get offered a coaching position. Absolute nonsense from beginning to end. Really huge that I think they were involved in this particular game. Um, so, absolutely great from that perspective. Uh, and I'm, I'm just, anytime someone likes a test match, I just, you know, I think it's a really um, exciting thing, right? Uh, let's move on to uh, England, Bangladesh, or Bangladesh, England. So, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a weird little series, but just there's just a couple of younger and slightly less young players that I just wanted to, to talk about. Rayhan Ahmed's really, really interesting. I'm not a huge technical person when it comes to cricket. I can... I can talk with technical people, but I know there are people that know a lot more about that sort of stuff. But one of the few things I do know a lot about is the biomechanics of leg spin. Uh, and Rayan Ahmed's really interesting because he's one of these new leg spinners that doesn't have a very strong front arm. And I think over a long period of time, that causes a problem because you can't regulate your length as well. And I think we've already seen him over pitch and under pitch a little bit in international cricket. And he's had some success and he certainly looked good at times, but because that left arm is not strong when he comes over, um, I do wonder if he has the ability to consistently land the ball. And he's also, because he doesn't have a strong left arm, it means that he's wrong in his main delivery at the moment. Now, I think we've seen with Bishnoi that you could do that, but I just think Bishnoi's action is a little bit stronger. But if you remember, one of the reasons that Bishnoi struggled to get into the team was because they were worried about his biomechanics early on as well. So we're seeing this new breed of leg spinner who can basically bowl a leg spinner or a wrongen that maybe is a little bit unpredictable with their lengths, that is quite good uh, and set up for T20 cricket. The interesting thing will be how they will go in one-day cricket and then also test cricket as well if they continue with that same path because Generally, if you look at the history of test cricket, what you see is that leg spinners are very, very strong with that front arm, front arm which allows them to pull through the line, which allows them to land the ball in whatever length they want. Um, and that's the way of going forward. So um, just worth looking at for Rayhan Ahmed. I'm a huge um, uh, Najmal Shanto fan. Uh, beforehand, other than never seeing him make any runs, which to be fair was most people in it who watched international cricket, I didn't really have many views on him, but I really like him for a few different ways. I think he's an excellent fielder. I've seen him take some very good slip um, catches, but he's also a good mover outside of that. Uh, He is, obviously he can bat. I want to see him tested more and more, but I thought England's a good team to go up against because they're very good at doing analysis. So you saw that um, with Roni um, Talakda, you know, senior player comes back in, they tell him to biff it. 
First game, he catches England by surprise. They don't know what to do. Next game, all they do is bowl slow balls to him. They're very clever, you know, and they would have, it would have been a team of people, you know, bowling coaches, maybe bowlers themselves, analysts, all going through the footage, looking at everything they could to try and work out a better way to bowl to him. Shanto, his form held up all the, has held up all the way through that series so far. I don't think he's ever going to be a great T20 player. Um, I, I could be wrong, but I don't think he has that kind of explosiveness uh, to his game. But I do think in one-day cricket and test cricket, more I've watched him in the series, the more I really like him. He's also willing to bowl part-time off spin as well. It, it's got it's got the feeling of a cricketer who's 24 who maybe now believes in himself in a way that he was probably picked on talent beforehand. Um, but he's absolutely fascinating. I was going to say I'll get Mohammed Issam to come on and do a podcast on him, but um, Mohammed Issam probably wants to come in and flog his book. So I'll do two podcasts with Mohammed Issam. Uh, and uh, who's the fourth player? Oh, fourth player. The third player I wanted to talk about was Mahidi Hassan. I'm finding him really, really interesting. So he batted at number five in the last game. Now, part of that was because of the matchups, right hand, left hand. And and also, I think they wanted to move um, Shakib down the order. You know, when Mahidi Hassan started international cricket, I don't even want to say he was a genuine, you know, number 10 or anything like that, but he was certainly a lower order player. And we've seen this a lot with with young players who come in when they're very very young and i'm trying to remember what is he 25 now and so he started uh when he was 18 does that sound right i think that's right um and if you just look at his batting try, so i'm just going to try and bring up his entire batting international uh situation when he was 18 obviously that part of his game was not particularly that developed and so you can see that he starts off as a tail ender. Now, we know he made the 100, uh, um, uh, not out. So he's batted, at, when he started off, he batted at number 10. Then he had a, a little bit at number nine. He's obviously moved up to number eight. As I said, we've now seen him. He's opened before. In fact, in international cricket, I'm just looking at this. This is live breaking news. He's batted one, two, three, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. 10, 11. We have to get him batting 11 at one stage. We have to get him bat at number four for him to bat the uh, the full card, the Wilfred Rhodes, if you will. But I think what you're seeing here is very similar to what you saw with maybe someone like Dan Vittori. Less so with Jadeja, of course, because we knew that Jadeja was a an all-rounder by the time he made international cricket. But someone like Dan Vittori, where there was always eight, a slither of batting talent. But when you come in so young, you haven't had time to develop your batting. Mahedi Hassan is really interesting. Him and Sam Curran both batted up the order in this series, and they both had the same basic problems, which is some of the running between wickets was a little bit tail end, which, you know, Sam Curran um, missed out on, uh, almost ran himself out at one stage because he didn't run the first one hard. Um, we saw with Mahedi Hassan, he spent half of his time being told that he was running incorrectly um, in that last T20 that they won. And both of them, but more importantly from a batting perspective, is both of them don't understand how to rotate strike. So they can hit, but there's a lot of dot balls in between that hitting. But I think with both of them, there is a big chance if you can keep them up the order and you can get them those sorts of those sorts of skills going ahead, and they're going to have to learn them in international cricket, they can be really interesting players. So also, Mahedi Hassan wasn't picked in the first T20, and I don't know if he was injured or not, but I don't remember him being injured against a team of completely left-handers. Um, which is absolutely bizarre, but I thought he bowled beautifully the other night. But um, but yeah, so that is uh, that's all I've got from the games that I uh, saw this weekend. Oh, there was also West Indies, South Africa. Sorry, I mean I didn't see too much of that one, just because of how busy I've been. But Temba Bavuma making a hundred. I actually I had a I had kind of a funny thought when it came to Temba Bavuma and his hundred. So Temba Bavuma, right, has basically been having a great 
test average when no one else has, like mid, mid to high 40s. Doesn't sound great, but by modern cricket standards, you know, building a castle. And he's been doing it by basically being not out and making 30 to 40 minimum almost every innings he comes across. Right now he makes the big hundred, and I'm wondering if he'll actually find a way to drop his average uh, because it was so absolutely bizarre that he managed to keep that average for, for so high for so long. Um, but yeah, I, I, I love I love Temba Bavuma. I love the professionalism he has. I love the way he thinks about cricket. Um, you know, I wouldn't have him as my T20 captain or in many of my T20 teams, but I'm a big fan of of the way he goes about it. So I thought that was really good. Um, again, you know, West Indies at times were in and around in that game. Um, and didn't end up. Uh, Keshav Maharaj, I've actually got a video that will come out probably later this week on him, on his career as much as anything, but also on the injury that he's done. So I won't go too, in, too much into that. But that, um, as someone who once hurt his Achilles, uh, nowhere near on the level that he did, uh, it's, a, it's a really tricky injury and I, I wish him the absolute best. I would say at this stage, he's about a 50% chance of playing in the World Cup, depending on uh, everything that comes afterwards. Um, but let me, uh, I think we've got some super chats and some other chats. Um, and we will uh, we will get to those, but I've got some good ones coming through. Will Cooling has. If a miracle happens and we get a proper seven-team test Premier League with standardized match weeks, would you ever be able to leave the house asleep? Yeah, it'd be pretty bad. I've said this before. I think I'm already at a point where I just, I need to form a partnership with one of these um, companies like MV Play, um, uh, Canamba, Sports Mechanics, whoever it may be, because I can't watch the amount of cricket that I want. I, I thought we'd love to go back and watch every ball of Temba Bavuma's innings, have a look at how West Indies got it wrong. Did the ball get soft? Um, did they bowl the wrong lines? Uh, was he just really good? Was the pitch flattened out? Whatever. And ch- chances are that now I'm going to have to catch up on this New Zealand Sri Lanka game. And I'm not sure if I recorded the other one. I'm not sure. <laughs> I've got an automatic record on, but I'm not sure if it records every um, single test match. Um, and it's just tough. So yeah, if, if we ever did it properly, but I'd kind of love that as well. This has been one of the toughest months of, well, two months of my life um, for covering cricket. And part of it is the new YouTube thing. I mean, I'm really thankful to Cheyenne who's um, who's come on and done, does a lot of writing uh, for me as well. And, you know, we've got the Ravi Jadeja video that might even be live by the end of this. Um, uh, it might even be where to be up now. So people have probably disappeared to go watch that. But it's about Ravi Jadeja and whether he's an MVP uh, most valuable player in test cricket at the moment. I couldn't have done that without Cheyenne. So, you know, we're getting to the point where I'm already having to get other people um, involved and he's obviously brilliant and it's great to be able to work with him going forward. And Muku is very good at putting together some of the videos where I just sort of say, I've written this, can you make it look pretty? But yeah, if we did have a proper 17 test Premier League, the other thing is, well, if we had a proper 17 test Premier League, let's be honest, I would probably try and cover both. Uh, first division, second division, and probably third division. So I'd be absolutely ruining my life. Uh, But what a way to go. Not all bread is created equal. And if you like your soft, fluffy, moist, and delicious, then Hero Bread and Buns should be your first choice. But Hero Bread isn't just about taste and texture. It's high in fiber with ultra-low net carbs with zero grams of sugar. Order today at Hero.co and use the code AH10 to get 10% off your first purchase. That's AH10 at Hero.co, H-E-R-O dot C-O for 10% off your first purchase. 
Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Uh, so you're listening to Uncovered, Jared, Jared, Jared Kimber and Barrett Sunderson, and by that I mean Jared Kimber because there is no Barrett Sunderson. And let us get on to uh, T20 Geeks question, who says the three greatest spinners of all time, Yuri Warren and Kumble, were all contemporaries. Is that just a coincidence? I don't think they are the three greatest spinners of all time. So I, I think they're all probably top ten. You could say the same thing of Bill O'Reilly, Clary Grimmitz, and the English spinner who passed away in the war, whose name is completely um, dropped out of my head. Um, we certainly see eras where there are more spinners and when they sort of come in a clump like that. Uh, I mean, Murali Mourner probably very close to one or two. I think that's very fair. But Kumble's probably a little bit further down the order than the other guys, and there's been some brilliant spinners. But they do seem to clump together, and I, I would say that is conditions-based. More often than not would be my guess. But... Um, I don't have a great answer for why we had – I don't have a great answer for why we had very good spinners in the 1930s, very good spinners in the 1950s and 60s, and very good spinners in the 90s, 2000s, and very good spinners in the 2015 onwards. Um, well, uh, I, I don't have a great answer to why it comes in that kind of pattern, um, but it does, and so maybe there is something to your question. But I, I don't think I have anything um, specifically great um, to add to that off the top of my head. I can't think of any reason. Pranav says, what do you make of Barrett's wicketkeeping? I thought um, he came with a better reputation than he actually performed. Kerry was better wicketkeeper in the series. Um, can India give KL Roll the gloves in the world? No, certainly don't give him the gloves. The thing with, with that you need to understand about wicketkeeping, it's exactly the same as batting and bowling, and we never think about it this way. Let's say KS Barrett is a better wicketkeeper than Alex Carey, right? That doesn't mean that Alex Carey can't be a better wicketkeeper in one series than Case Barrett. And the reason is, is the form still plays a part. How you see the ball still plays a part. How you're moving, any injuries that you have still play a part. And we never think about that in wicketkeeping. Anytime a specialist wicketkeeper is, is picked now, if they make one mistake, everyone's like, I might as well just pick a batter, right? That's not how it works. If form plays as much a part, I mean, form plays a part in umpiring and writing about cricket and everything else, it also plays a part in wicketkeeping. And so I don't think you can look at one particular series and say that he's uh, he's not a good wicketkeeper now. I'm not sure I thought Alex Carey was better than him, but I, I think you're fair to say that they're in, in the same sort of situation. I thought he shaped up quite well, though, and moved his feet very well. That's I'm more looking at that than anything else. And I didn't see anything, any technical flaws in the way. You know, I watched Lytton Das wicketkeep yesterday, and, you know, he fell over um, taking a ball that, it's a fairly standard one and, you know, these things happen. Tom Blundell, who I think has the best catch-drop ratio in world cricket, 
usually the non-Western keepers do because they're not up at the stumps as much. But certainly he's been the dominant wicketkeeper um, since BJ Watling retired as far as uh, how he's gone. He dropped an absolute sitter in that New Zealand-England uh, series. You know, it's as a great batter can play a bad shot. Virat Kohli didn't make runs for a while. All these things happen, right? Pat Cummins bowling maybe hasn't looked quite as good of, over recent times as it had in the period before. That's going to happen to wicketkeepers as well, and I don't think we factor that in when we're thinking about them. Archit says, uh, will Cam Green reach Ben Stokes' level of greatness by the end of this decade? He could be a better player than Ben Stokes. I say this based on the fact that I think if if Cam Green reaches his potential, he should be able to, his full potential of what I think he could do, he should be able to average low 40s with the bat and average higher, low 30s to mid 30s with the ball, which is probably a better player than Ben Stokes. He may not be the big game moment Stokes and he may not, you know, uh, change uh, games and do all the sorts of other little things. But if you're looking purely statistically, Ben Stokes's numbers aren't that unattainable for someone of Cameron Green's talent. Um, you know, Ravi Jadeja's numbers are much better, you know, than that. And and I think Cameron Green has come into Test cricket as a better batter than Jadeja or Stokes did. Jadeja was clearly the best bowler of the three when he came in, um, and obviously relied on his bowling for a long time. Stokes's bowling is good. But I think, again, because of Green's pace and bounce, I think he has the ability to be an even bowl, uh, better bowler than Stokes. Although I think Stokes's bowling will be underrated because if you have a look outside of Neil Wagner, he's probably been the best partnership breaker of any, uh, certainly of any seamer, but I think that might be of any bowler in Test cricket over the last long period of time. So there is a bump that Stokes gets that you don't necessarily get from um uh, in that sort of way. There's also the, you know, the personality thing, uh, which from a team perspective is probably far more important. You know, the the whole idea that we could throw Ben Stokes at anything. But if you're looking at purely on a numbers point of view, if, if Cameron White was to continue to develop his batting uh, and his bowling, he finds a good length eventually and just works out how to hit that length over and over again, he could be a better player than Ben Stokes. But there aren't that many players who've been better players than Ben Stokes. So, Injury, loss of form. I still have problems with bowling full in at the stumps to Cameron Green. I don't think his technique is perfectly set up for Test cricket at the moment. But we saw there there are parts of uh, Ben Stokes' career, like the fact that he still plays across the line to off spinners and stuff, where he's not completely set up perfectly uh, for Test cricket uh, when, especially in the DRS era against spinners. So from that perspective, I think uh, I think Cameron Green he's got a lot to overcome. But if you as someone who saw Ben Stokes when he was young and thought he could be anything, I think that Ben that Cameron Green could be a better player, um, certainly on paper than Ben Stokes. But you know, a million things could happen between now and then, and you know, he may not end up being any of those things. He may not be able to bowl consistently, um, you know, which is the biggest issue, um, you know, at, at, for his impact as an all rounder. Amwesh says, "What do you think about the pace attacks of Sri Lanka and Bangladesh?" Rajisha, Asisa, and Kumara, and Chimira when fit. And Tuscan, Ebedot, Shorafal for Bangladesh. You're missing someone, aren't you? The new guy, someone else asked. Uh, Hassan Mahmood as well. Let's get some Hassan Mahmood love in there. Yeah, I think I said uh, that Sri Lanka, during the T20, that you could start to see that there was a bowling attack forming for Sri Lanka that looked impressive. Well, we know that none of them were fit, but the fact that they're, third and fourth seamers were coming in and you were like, 
my third and fourth choice seamers were coming in and you were like, these guys can bowl. It certainly looks very different than we saw before. Suddenly Sri Lanka looks like there's a lot of seam options available to them. Bangladesh is interesting. Uh, Taskin has clearly taken a step forward. Everdot I took those wickets in um, New Zealand. I still think he's got more development in him. He's 29, but he just looks like someone who has not played a lot of cricket. But he's tall, he's fast, he's fit. I really like him. Shorafal, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I don't think it's as deep as the Sri Lankan lineup. I think Sri Lanka have a few more. Um, but I do like um, uh, Hassan Mahmood as well. Uh, you know, Ben Affleck hair, Liam Livingston bowling in the middle overs. What's not like, not to like there? Um, so individually, I don't think there's that many outstanding bowlers in that crop that you're talking about. But because they all have four or five options, um, backups, other players seem to be coming through the system uh, faster than they have been before. It's not like I'm sitting there going, they have one great bowler. I think why I really like it is that there is a bunch of bowlers available to them and they have the ability to, I mean, Bangladesh, I didn't even put the fizz in there, by the way. Bangladesh, you know, really only ever had the fizz as a frontline seamer and whatever was left of, you know, uh, Mortaz's knees. Um, they now have a platoon and Sri Lanka now have a platoon and Sri Lanka hasn't had probably this kind of fast bowling depth in a long time. They've certainly had better fast bowlers than this. I'm not sure they had this kind of fast bowling depth. I think that's what's really interesting about all of um, that sort of stuff. Yvishamp says, why does Matthews struggle to make runs in Australia and South Africa, but has a great record in England and New Zealand? Well, they're very different places. Um, I, I was having this discussion with someone recently that I think people think all center wickets are the same um, in the way that even all Asian wickets aren't really the same, right? Like Sri Lanka spins the most and the fastest. And, you know, Bangladesh and UAE keep very, very low. Um, India were traditionally better for batting. Um, and obviously Pakistan, uh, it's almost like a different kind of Asian wicket, Pakistan, to all the others that we've just said. They're all very different and it's exactly the same. You know, New Zealand and England wickets are very, very different than Australia and South Africa wickets. And the, the bounce, the consistency of bounce, um, you know, I would say that South Africa has some wickets that are like Australia, some wickets that are like England and some wickets that are like New Zealand. Very, very different because Australia just has Australian wickets and there's there's nowhere else in the world where the bounce is as vertical as it is in Australia. South Africa have some wickets that has good pace and carry. They don't have that sort of vertical bounce that you can get in Australia. Like even wickets like the Gabba and, you know, the MCG, which and even Adelaide Oval can be like this sometimes. You get really steep bounce on those wickets. Uh, that's really hard to play if you you know if you're not from it. Whereas England is obviously more traditional seamers. Um, New Zealand used to be seamers and and but can sometimes be a little bit slow seamers. And then, as I said, South Africa is a combination of almost all three of those. Um, so they're all very very different. I'm assuming uh, it would be the pace and the bounce if it's a thing with Matthews. I haven't looked at his full record, so um, I'm, I'm not sure. It could just be dumb luck as well. But if it, if that is the case and you're right, then pace and bounce would be the most obvious um, answer for that. Pranav says, do you think that deciding the World, Tees, uh, World Test Championship final venues beforehand is not a good thing? Instead, they should decide on the venue after the finalists are decided. Yeah, I mean, the reason they don't do that is it takes a long time to prepare for grounds crews, uh, you know, cameras, production companies, all that sort of stuff. You know, organizing a test match at the last minute doesn't really make any sense. So that's the that's the reason that that doesn't happen. I think there was another question which I somehow managed to lose. Where um, I get again the reason that England is having them basically is England want them. 
is the main reason. Other countries don't really see them as an advantage. The other thing is the ICC sees England at the moment as a place where neutral fans will turn up to matches. That's not particularly the case in other places, and that's certainly what their local boards are saying. I think a bit it will eventually move beyond England, but don't forget there's a long period of time where every ICC event was hosted in India, Australia, and England. It's not an accident. Charlie asks, do you think a part of the reason why the wobble balls replace swing bowling in test cricket is that it makes swing harder to bowl by potentially scuffing up the shiny side of the ball? Um, yeah, it's taken reverse swing away, Charlie. So the combination of the new regulations is when it comes to you know saliva on the ball so certainly seems to have played a part. But yeah, they're trying to keep the ball in a different way. So what we really saw in the wobble ball era is we're seeing more traditional swing and less reverse swing because the wobble ball actually does it does it means you have to keep the ball in pretty good condition. But what you can't do is just slam it into the ground over and over again. The seam doesn't really matter as much in reverse swing, whereas it does uh, obviously for the wobble ball. So I think that's the biggest change with those things. Ranjit says, Death of Gentleman is available in DocuVerse YouTube channel. It is. I, I should have um, I put a link out to that before, but I don't I don't know if they pay for the rights just because I'm not a producer, so I don't know all that sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, it exists online if you want to see it on YouTube. Uh, and Vit says, there's a lot of analysis on batting and bowling, but I rarely see analysis on ideal field settings. Besides, why aren't there any uh, artificially intelligent field setting system? Well, this is a very easy one to answer, and it's basically because um, we don't track field settings. We don't track where the fielders are. That's why we don't have it. It's very silly. It's an obvious thing that certainly needs to change very soon. Should have already happened. We should have spatial tracking cameras ahead, uh, you know, on top of the grounds. Um, but we haven't got to that point at the moment, and, vi- and because of that, we don't have it. But yeah, it, I remember there's an article I did with Nathan Lehman a while back, the England analyst, and we were talking about what wagon wheels are. And wagon wheels are really cool. And it's great that we've had them for like hundreds of years. And if baseball had tracked wagon wheels more, I think they would have realized that you do need to move the fielders a lot earlier. So by having wagon wheels, we, it certainly has affected where fielders go. But wagon wheels are essentially telling you, especially in test cricket, a little bit in T20 cricket and one-day cricket as well, but certainly in test cricket, where the fielders were not. Right. That's essentially what it's saying is, oh, look, he's hit all these cover drives. Well, that's because they left cover open. Because if they had a cover fielder there, he would not have been able to play that shot on that particular angle. So um, I think this is this is for me one of the um this is one of the big ones that uh that you certainly want to it, it really annoys me. So I talked to an IPL team and I said to them, if you set a camera up, if you in a bunch of local leagues even. Uh, and by local leaves, I mean, you know, like the, um, the SMAT or the Karnataka or, you know, whatever, the Tamil Nadu League. You set a bunch of cameras up, especially during lockdown. You could actually fast track your knowledge of where we're getting things wrong with fields and where we're not getting things wrong with fields. I've talked to the big bash teams about similar sorts of things. I think they all agree with me. It's just that no one is invested in any of these. And the bigger problem is that if you're a basketball team or a Premier League team, you play half your games at home. And you have that ability. It was in cricket, we move the venues all the time. Whether you can, I don't know what the financial cost of moving the spatial tracking cameras or whatever um, sort of cameras they end up using um, to be able to do this is. But yeah, I, I think Hawkeye have this sort of technology already um, because I think it's something that they, uh, they're bringing in for the, the basketball teams. And obviously, baseball already does this. And the technology exists, there's money, there's, it's available out there. 
but no one's done it yet. Hey, I yeah, I find it very very annoying, and wish uh, I wish someone would have done um, something better with it. But unfortunately, at the moment, it's not to be. Anyway, big big thanks to everyone uh, for coming on Uncovered. We have a bunch of stuff lined up over the next week or so. There's already a couple of videos made. As I said, I've ravaged Asia MVP one. Got some really good red inkers coming out. Um, there's an episode I just did with the Naan Curry podcast uh, that you'll be able to hear on Red Inca, which is all about uh, food and cricket, uh, which is if you like food and you like cricket, it's a good place to go. And so then, uh, there, but there's a bunch of other stuff that's coming out. I, as, as I said, I've done something on Keshav Maharaj and the ruptured Achilles tendon and everything else. But thanks for supporting us. I've got my Bodyline t-shirt on and this one happens to be about Bodyline as well. So double Bodyline. Uh, so go and support Bodyline um, uh, T-shirts and everything else. Get yourself Manscaped. And uh, sub- if you support us via Patreon or buy me a coffee, everything goes towards us making more content. That's basically how this thing works. So if you like what we're doing, subscribe, press the bell icon, um, share the content, tell your next door neighbor what we're doing, buy a Bodyline T-shirt, shave your nuts, whatever you need to do. We'll see you next week on Uncovered with Jared Kimber and Barra Sundaresan. If he comes, we'll see you then. This show has an ad-free version via Patreon, and there are many other extras available there as well. There is a link to the show notes. The show is hosted by me, Jared Kimber. Barrett Sundaresan is my co-host. It is produced by Nick McCorriston. We also have a great production team from 42 with Rati Joshi on socials, Orajoti Senapayi and Maida Akam producing podcasts. And Makunda Bandredi is the head of our YouTube account. Sports Social Podcast Network.